You're listening to Trademarks Made Easy. Trademarks Made Easy is the podcast focused on helping brand owners in the e-commerce space. With your host, Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. But don't worry, you won't find too much legalese here. Well, hey there. I'm your host, Susie Hickson, also known as the private label lawyer. Now, in this episode, I'm going to discuss with you what makes a trademark strong. And no, I don't mean like Arnold Schwarzenegger strong. The answer is not just a matter of opinion. The answer is not whether you or someone else believes your trademark is cute, catchy, memorable, clever, trendy, or whatever. Selecting a trademark that's strong is actually an art and a science. And this means you have to really nail down that perfect brand name by selecting one that is strong from both the legal and the marketing perspective. So, are you ready? Here we go. So you aren't an attorney or marketing mastermind. It's okay, have no fear. With just a little bit of trademark knowledge, creative thinking, and guidance, you are sure to select the perfect trademark to fit your newest private label product line. So let's talk about knowledge first. You must first understand that your trademark will always fall on a spectrum known as the spectrum of distinctiveness. The spot at which your trademark lands on that spectrum will determine whether or not it is strong and enforceable. This spectrum ranges from trademarks that are generic, which are weak terms that are not protectable in any way, to coined, which are considered to be the strongest, at least from the legal perspective. Let's learn a little bit more about generic, coined, and all those categories in between so that we can select a trademark that falls on the strong side of the spectrum and fits your private label products to a T. So what are generic terms? So a generic term is simply one that names the goods you're selling and they're never protectable. Because everyone deserves the right to accurately identify the types of goods they sell, allowing a single company to claim trademark rights to a generic term would impoverish the language and unfairly hamper competition. So generic terms are just dangerous from both the legal and marketing perspective, and they should be avoided at all costs. Now, moving a little further along this spectrum are what we would call descriptive terms. Descriptive terms are composed of words that merely describe a quality or characteristic of your product. And although they may become distinctive over time and therefore protectable as a trademark, these terms are very weak from both the legal and marketing perspective. So think of this trademark as you would just an ordinary adjective. An example would be soft diapers. Because this mark describes a touch in the feel of the diapers, it is considered to be descriptive and therefore a weak trademark. And again, this mark would be very weak from both a marketing and a legal perspective. Want a great social media presence and actually be searchable and found on the interwebs? Yeah, I thought so. So if you do, don't use a descriptive mark. You'll just drown in the sea of sameness. So let's talk about arbitrary terms. These are kind of fun. This is at the middle of the spectrum, and 
at the middle of the spectrum, you will find these arbitrary terms, which are, are words that actually have a dictionary definition. You would find them in the dictionary, but there's no relationship to the underlying trademark. An arbitrary trademark is inherently distinctive, so that means they're good from the legal perspective in most circumstances. For example, the word camel is an everyday term or word referring to a particular animal, but it has no relationship or with or significance to cigarettes. Apple is an everyday term for a type of fruit, but it has no relationship to computers. Bird has no relationship to electric scooters, but that's actually a trademark for a brand of electric scooters. These marks are, again, relatively strong from the legal perspective. However, they can be a little challenging from the marketing perspective as you must proactively educate the consumer as to what the underlying product is. Now, suggestive terms, these are even a little stronger than arbitrary trademarks, in my opinion. These allude to the quality or the nature of the products, but it doesn't necessarily describe the product itself. This type of trademark requires the consumer to use his imagination or perception to actually understand what the product is. So an example of a fantastic suggestive trademark is Pup Peroni for dog treats. The element Pup suggests it's a dog-related product, right? And the element Peroni suggests a food. Now, suggestive trademarks are really a sweet spot when it comes to trademark strength from both the legal and marketing perspective. Therefore, I want to take a moment to delve into these types of trademarks just a little bit more and discuss more specifically what I call portmanteaus. Now, a portmanteau, this is just a fancy way to say squishing words together. And we see these on a daily basis, and we probably don't even realize what they are or that they're actually called portmanteaus. But specifically, a portmanteau is the blending of the sounds combined with the meaning of two others. So, for example, in everyday language, we say a motel, and that's a combination of the words motor and hotel. We say, let's go to brunch. That is a combination of breakfast and lunch. And another example, you see a lot of this with celebrity relationships, but an oldie but goodie example would be Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Wow, that was so long ago, but remember Brangelina? In the world of trademarks, I consider portmanteaus oftentimes your sweet spot of the sweet spot for selecting the perfect name. Plantioxidants, that's a cosmetic company and that's the word plant and antioxidant. Travelocity, we all know what that is. Travel plus velocity. Viagra, this one's an interesting one. Allegedly, it's from the word vigor and Niagara. And of course, Pinterest. You pin your interest, hence Pinterest. These are all strong examples of portmanteaus that are used for trademark purposes. So let's talk about coin terms. Now, these are, from a legal perspective, really one of the strongest types of trademarks, but they're not great from a marketing perspective. These are just made-up terms that have no other meaning than for use as the trademark. This type of name can be created by just inventing a new word entirely. For example, Exxon 
and Kodak. These are two very famous examples of coined trademarks. I really have to caution you against coined terms, however. While they're pretty great from a legal perspective, what are the odds of the same Scrabble pieces being thrown out in the same order for another company, right? These types of trademarks can be problematic because you need to really proactively educate the consumer as to what your underlying products are. But taglines can be helpful here. Plus, these types of trademarks usually don't conjure up any type of emotion from consumers other than what the hell is this? (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about creativity, putting pen to paper. So how do we get creative? Now that you have just a little bit of knowledge about what makes a strong trademark, it's time to export that knowledge by thinking creatively and putting those suggestions down on paper. So go ahead and hold a brainstorming session with a small team of valued, knowledgeable coworkers and or employees that understand the vision for your brand and your company. Bribe them with pizza and beer if you have to. And as far as creativity, just remember that the possibilities are endless. Keep an open mind and get all ideas down on paper. Yeah, that's the stuff made of wood pulp. One silly and simple verbalized thought could spawn a brilliant new idea and hence lead to that perfect trademark, put pen to pulp. If you prefer to work independently, sit down by your computer with your pen and paper. Now, while I do highly recommend using those old-fashioned writing tools, the computer is still really needed for modern-day research, so make sure you have an internet connection. Write down all the potential trademark names you can think of for your product and place them in the appropriate categories on that spectrum of distinctiveness. Remember, you should always just go ahead and proactively strike out marks or terms that fall under the generic or descriptive category. Once you've compiled a short list of proposed marks, don't be too quick to jump the gun before making that final decision. There are a few more aspects of trademark name selection and filing that does require a little bit of guidance. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about some guidance here. There may be elements of your trademark protection where you still might want to consider garnering the help of a professional. Here are a few considerations. Trademark clearance searching. So before filing your trademark application with the USPTO, it is critical to perform a trademark search to see if the trademark you desire to use and register might already be in use. Now, an analysis of results that pop up in a trademark search might require an attorney. However, you can and should do what I call quick and dirty searches on your own. This is when you do sort of a quick knockout search for obvious trademark conflicts. Are you just not sure? Reach out to an attorney. Without performing at least a knockout search on your own, you could end up wasting time and money filing for a trademark that will inevitably be refused by the USPTO due to a likelihood of confusion with a prior filed trademark. So let's talk about trademark filing. Often, someone may want to file a trademark that they haven't even started using yet. And people ask me, is this even possible? And it is. You can file your trademark application on an intent-to-use basis, but you do have to ultimately show the USPTO that you are using the trademark in commerce. 
Therefore, after filing your trademark application, you really need to consider when you'll start using that trademark and be ready to provide adequate evidence to the USPTO that your mark is actually in use when the time is ripe. Now, a little guidance from a trademark attorney can go a long way in helping you determine what specimens or evidence are acceptable to the USPTO that indicate your mark is valid and in use. Furthermore, if you fall short on time to provide the appropriate use documentation, the USPTO does allow for extensions to give you additional time and flexibility in providing your evidence of use. However, if you miss that final deadline, your application will go abandoned. So don't let this happen to you. Otherwise, you'll have to start the process all over. And if you're a bit on the forgetful side, make sure you use a perpetual calendar to put your dates down, like Google calendars, or really lean on your trademark attorney and the docketing system that he or she uses. Let's talk about trademark maintenance. If your trademark makes it through the application process and becomes registered, you're going to want to have a big party, of course. But there are also some required maintenance filings that must not be overlooked in order to keep that trademark active and alive. So for instance, you'll need to file documents between the fifth and sixth year after registration and every 10 years after registration. Furthermore, you must continue to use that trademark. And sometimes this is why it's a really good idea to use a perpetual calendar or really rely on a law firm to have this type of thing on their docket. Now, if you are adamant about keeping up with your own maintenance dates, of course, use Google calendars and mark those dates well into the future. Now, if you're considering pausing the use of your trademark after it's registered for any reason at all, make sure you do consult with a trademark attorney beforehand. Three years of non-use is considered presumed abandonment of a trademark. So talk to a trusted professional about how you can pause use if necessary and not lose those valued trademark rights. Monitoring your trademark. This is one of my favorite things when it comes to trademarks. Now, you can't always depend on the USPTO to be the gatekeeper and protector of your trademark. As a vigilant trademark owner, you need to continually monitor and enforce your trademark. Obtaining a registered trademark is really only half the battle. And to grow and really strengthen the value of your trademark over time, you have to monitor and you have to enforce it. Now, monitoring is not really that expensive. Enforcement can be, but monitoring itself isn't. You should ensure that you're prepared to financially invest not only in filing, but also enforcement when necessary. And a professional can really help you nail down the appropriate monitoring parameters for you and help determine when, if, and if a cease and desist letter is necessary. So how about some final trademark thoughts? Selecting a strong trademark for your private label products at the time of product sourcing will minimize cost in all areas of trademark across the board, from filing to maintenance and even into enforcement. And this is exactly why the most important part of the entire process is selecting a strong trademark at the outset and manifesting that perfect mark sooner rather than later will help to grow value in your business and leave a lasting impression on your customers 
years into the future. Remember to learn all you can about trademark name selection. Have fun while getting creative and seek the guidance when you need it. And that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today and I hope you loved it and I hope you found this content of value. I really hope to see you in the next episode and remember, never stop learning. Thanks for listening to Trademarks Made Easy with Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe anywhere you find podcasts or at theprivatelabellawyer.com. Remember, the information provided in the Trademarks Made Easy podcast should not be construed as legal advice. It's for informational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered a substitute for legal advice. Also, I'm not your attorney. You should engage with an attorney to discuss your specific legal issues. And finally, while I have taken precautions to ensure that the content of my podcast is current and accurate, errors can occur. And thankfully, like us, the laws are ever evolving.